And so we're reading from Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 23. We're going to read about Peter and an encounter with a man called Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He, he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So a few years back, when I was uh, at Moorlands doing my training, I, I went on a, a placement, a trip over to uh, India for five weeks. I know some of you know that. Probably five of the toughest weeks, culturally speaking anyway, that I had ever experienced. I'm glad I did it, and in such an amazing country too, but there were challenges. Uh, I uh, was staying with local people. Um, trying to learn the local customs. I was eating local food. If you like spicy rice three times a day, then that's your place. 
Uh, I must admit, I lost 10 pounds in weight whilst I was out there in just five weeks. When I came back, my mum took one look at me, and there was an audible gasp. Um, when she saw what I looked like uh, after I'd been there uh, for, for those five weeks. Uh, but what I enjoyed about the challenges of immersing yourself in a culture is that, of course, you, you learn a lot of things and you, you meet a lot of different people. Um, and as you learn about these different ways that things happen, you also, of course, learn the things that you are not really supposed to do as well. Uh, there was one day at the, the, the school I was staying at where um, uh, the dean of the college, we were doing some gardening out in the little garden they had. And I mean, I, I, I'm not much of a gardener anyway, I will admit, but I certainly didn't know the plants that were in their garden. And so I started trying to dig up and pull out these plants that I thought he had indicated for me to pull out. And there was this noise behind me as I started pulling them out because I'd started pulling up some of their shrubs that they had planted. I think it was only because I was a visitor that he didn't go off on one and tell me off uh, publicly in front of all the other students. But you learn things along the way. There's another point where I, I, I was um, uh, taking a train into, the, into Mumbai itself because I was staying just outside Mumbai. And uh, my chaperone for the day was a, a young lady, a young married lady, who was also at the uh, school that I, I was staying at. Uh, what I only realized in hindsight, I think anyway, was that when you get on a train, if you get on as a young man and a young lady together, people assume that you are married. Okay. Otherwise, you know, men and women tend to be separated on the train in, in the culture. And so I was on this train with this young lady who was herself, I must admit, was looking a little bit nervous with all these people just looking very quizzically at us with this, you know, Westerner guy on the train with his young lady friend who was his chaperone for the day and wondering what must on earth be going on. You know, you learn things as you go along the way. But there was one thing that really struck me. Um, I was at a church called Bombay Baptist Church for the, for, the first, for the five weeks. And one of the ministries I was involved with there was the music ministry. Just playing along with guitar. Who knows, I might even bring my guitar back in the near future. You may see it. Um, but I was playing guitar and helping with the music group. But on the last Sunday that I was there, they said to me, could you lead our evening worship for us, for our service? And I didn't know half of the songs they sang. Uh, fortunately, it was in English, um, but I didn't know half the songs. So I just picked four songs that I knew pretty well, stood up the front of the church having practiced with the group, and played these songs in front of the congregation. And of course, there was a slight novelty factor about it all anyway, uh, with me leading, but... I was really struck that you can go to somewhere like India, on the other side of the world, you can be among God's people, sharing together in the same songs, praising the same God, celebrating the same Savior, thousands of miles away across the other side of the globe. You know, I've had it happen in South Africa and Lesotho. 
uh, in Lesotho, a congregation there. It was the loudest worship service I have ever been a part of. The drums were being banged. I mean, it was just crazy. I wondered how they survived, to be honest with you. But, but just the loudest service ever. Different to our own, but still you go... These are Christians. These are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ whom we can go across the world, see and share together in the wonderful Savior whom we know and love. Now, how does all of this relate to what we read about Cornelius and Peter? Well, it relates because Acts chapter 10 is the start point for the gospel going out across the world, to every people group, every tribe and tongue. This is where it begins. And what I love about it is that it begins with just one man and his household somewhere in the Near East, there in a place called Caesarea, whom God chooses to be the first person, the first non-Jew we understand, to come to faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. I mean, we should remember, okay, Jesus was a Jew. We should remember that. He wasn't separate from the Jewish people. He was one of them. The 12 disciples, all Jewish. Jesus' ministry, predominantly in and around Jewish territory, either up in Galilee in the north of the country or around Jerusalem itself, And at the time, this new movement that was happening among the Jewish people, that they were talking about Jesus and saying he was their Savior and Lord, that was just coming into being. Some were claiming that this prophet had risen from the dead, and people were believing him. And even in the first nine chapters of Acts, the first nine chapters of this book, it's all among the Jewish people. It's contained. That is until chapter 10, and this encounter happens. This centurion, a Roman man, has a vision, and through it his whole household is saved. Now this is incredible, okay? Because what we see in Acts 10 is the gospel gates being burst open so that it could then go on that journey to the ends of the earth itself, which of course has relevance for us as we sit here in Westbourne today. It really does. Had this not have happened, we would not be here. Think about that for a second. What happens here directly leads to you and I sitting in this place because Jesus has gone out to the whole world, and this is where it starts. So, so the scene is set, first of all, and we meet Cornelius. We're told he's at Caesarea. There's a little map that should appear as well. Um, uh, it's uh, sort of towards the north of Israel. You can see the Dead Sea at the bottom there and the Sea of Galilee at the top, the Jordan River. Caesarea was on the coastline there. Um, we're told he's a centurion in the Italian regiment in charge of a hundred men. He's a, a captain by today's standards. Someone who knew how to take orders, which is really good because he's about to receive orders from someone of a pretty high authority. We're told he and his family were devout and God-fearing. What does that mean? Well, it likely means that he believed in the God of the Jewish people, 
rather than the pantheon of Roman gods. Uh, That was a tick in the box, by the way. Good, good. He probably accepted um, Jewish moral standards, even more a tick in the box. We're told he gave generously to those in need. You know, if he had had the Carvis calendar and was picking stuff up, he would have filled it in twice over and given to us. We'd have had had to have got a truck to take all of this uh, to the food bank. He was generous. He gave to those in need. And he's a man of prayer. God-fearing, God-worshipping. We're told later, respected among the Jewish community, which means he would have had contact with them. Maybe he even attended the synagogue on occasion. We don't know. But being accepted by the Jewish community as a Roman, well, that was quite something. And so even more of a surprise to him and everyone who comes into play is that he's a Gentile. He may have been um, thought of kindly by the Jewish community, but he was not in the Jewish community. He was well known to the community of Jewish people. He's good, but he's not one of them. And that's the point. But he's the man that God gives a vision to, and everything starts from that moment. He receives instructions to send for who no less, Simon Peter, the disciple of Jesus. This is odd, okay? This is very strange. It's odd. Tell this to a Jew, and they would be shocked at the time. They would be shocked. And I also mean those Jews who had already accepted Jesus as their Messiah, the Son of God. It's why in chapter 11, we're not going to look at this passage in our series, but Peter has to explain himself to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. He has to explain why this has all happened. Because they ask him the question, what on earth were you doing going to this man? Why were you going to visit him? They don't get it, and he has to explain it. Good Jews weren't even supposed to have unclean Gentiles in their homes, let alone eat with them, let alone that they might be accepted into the people of God. I mean, surely. Let alone they might be accepted without circumcision, offerings at the temple. I mean, seriously, Peter, there's there's barriers that's got to be maintained, surely. Surely it's got to be maintained. And of course, at the beginning of the chapter... We ourselves have no idea why this angel appears either. All we know is that God in some way honors this man for his devotion. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God, the angel says, and that he should send for Peter who's staying down the coast in Joppa, whom also, because this is the way God works, right? He also is about to have a vision himself. He's about to hear from God himself. And things get stranger and even more concerning for Jewish ears because it's all just plain odd. But we know it to be true, don't we, about God? We know this to be true. If you go with him, if you do what he is wanting to do, and where he is wanting to lead you, sometimes things can seem a bit odd. 
They can seem a bit strange. We go, what? what? Why, Lord, are you asking me to do this? But do you know what? Follow him. Do what he says. And all good things come about in response. Not easy things. Not always straightforward things. Those people on the video who chose to follow Jesus did not have it easy, did they? But all good things come about. Follow him and he'll never sell you short. And do you know what? He might just have a miracle or two in store for you as well, as he does with Cornelius in just a short while. But Peter comes first, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to the pra- to, to, on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I'm sorry for any vegetarians among us, but the people of God did eat meat, or at least certain kinds of meat. Which is why this vision is also so strange. Vision given to a Gentile telling him to send for Peter, strange. Vision to Peter telling him to kill and eat anything from a wide selection of animals, birds and reptiles, very strange too. Particularly, again, for Jewish ears, and that's the point. What on earth is going on? What is God saying? Well, for centuries... Ever since the laws of God had been given hundreds of years beforehand, Jewish people were prohibited from eating or even touching animals or birds that were considered unclean. Um, Pigs are the classic one that a lot of people know about. But reptiles would also fall into that category along with any other animals that didn't eat grass or have cloven hooves. They weren't allowed to eat any of those animals. And so Peter receives this vision. He receives this vision of, from, from the Lord of all sorts of animals, including the prohibited ones. God tells him to kill and eat, and he does what any Jewish person would do. He says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Why would I? I mean, you've banned them, God. You banned them by law, and I've kept those laws all of this time. I'm not going to defile myself by eating something prohibited. I never have done. I'm a good boy. You might not have said the last bit, but that's what he's saying. I'm a good boy. But God replies to him and makes it perfectly plain. Look, Peter, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And the sheet disappears. <laughs> what? What's going on? What on earth is happening here? Happens three times coming down from heaven. And you can imagine that it would leave Peter wondering in verse 17. That's the word in the NIV anyway. In fact, the, be- the word better means perplexed. He's completely confused by all of this. He's going, what on earth was that? I mean, they say context is key, right? Peter has no context for this at all. No context for the vision. It just happens. We'd all be sitting there a bit perplexed by it all. But then the men arrive from Cornelius, trying to seek him out. 
The Spirit tells Peter further, they're looking for you, these men. They're looking for you, curiouser and curiouser. What's God doing? What is he doing? Peter asks the question we'd all ask. He says, he says to them in verse 21, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? <laughs> it's what you would do, what I would do, wouldn't it? Why are you here? What's this all about? Great question. And it's perhaps as they give their explanation and they tell him, for the first time, the jigsaw pieces begin to come together. The point God is making gets a little bit clearer. The men reply, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people, but not a Jew. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. A sheet with prohibited animals. Okay. And he's told to kill and eat. An unclean and in that sense prohibited Gentile with a vision from God to send for Peter so that he could hear what Peter has to say. Maybe those little pieces of the jigsaw are beginning to be put into place. Maybe there is more, on, more going on than meets the, the eye. Maybe, just maybe, in fact, God in chapter 10 of the book of Acts is starting a new thing. Maybe, just maybe, he's doing something new. Maybe, just maybe, it's something that's going to change the face of the earth forever. Which gets us to the reading, reading the second half of the encounter, which I will do for us. You know, if you've ever watched the, the TV game show, A Question of Sport, okay, there's a round in it called What Happened Next, where the contestants are left hanging and, and you wonder, and you have to try and guess what happens next in the sporting event. Well, that's basically what we do with our reading today, because it's only when you read the second half you get what God is really trying to say. Uh, so let's read uh, from verses 24 to 48. It's not on the screen um, at the back, um, but we're going to read these words anyway to find out. The next day, Peter started out with him, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I mean, no pressure, right? <laughs> As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God 
to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message got sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The second half makes the point, doesn't it? In fact, there are three things we discover. The point is revealed, the gospel is declared, and the Spirit is received. But it's what it means for us that really is exciting and groundbreaking. So first of all, the point is revealed. Peter simply arrives and he and Cornelius simply talk. Uh, so far, this has been a case of two people with two separate pieces of the same jigsaw puzzle. I'm wondering why their set doesn't complete the picture and they're trying to work it out. If you've ever done jigsaw puzzles before, you'll know how frustrating it is when you don't have all the pieces or you're missing that one piece that will, will bring it to its completion. Here we've got a clash of cultures a Jew and a Gentile, a clash of religions, a Jew and an outsider. We've got a clash of politics, a Roman and uh, occupied Israel. We've got a class of, cl clash of cleanliness rituals, that's hard to say, a clean Jew and an unclean pagan, whom God brings together to share in this moment that changes absolutely everything. You can tell Cornelius isn't the finished picture. He's not at all. When Peter arrives, he drops down to his knees and tries to worship him. He's not got it all right, has he? Bad move. Clearly his understanding was still pretty limited. Get up, says Peter. What are you, what are you doing? Don't do that. I'm only a man. 
Then Peter speaks, setting out the status quo. I mean, it's quite amusing. He, he enters all the house, and Cornelius has gathered all of his relatives, all of the people from his household, and they're all just sitting there, waiting for him. I mean, it's not at all intimidating, is it? All the eyes on him as he enters the room, a hush descends as they wait for him to speak. No pressure at all, Peter, to say, say the right thing here. And Peter tells them what they know. You know it's, it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to eat with them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I, when I was sent for, I came immediately. Of course I did. And Cornelius tells him what God has done on his side of the equation. I sent for you immediately. And we're all here right now, in the presence of God, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. We'll just sit and we'll listen. Over to you, Peter. Say something. And Peter says, he finally puts two and two together Given his track record, this is good, right? He puts two, to, two and two together, he makes four, and he says one of the greatest truths that we ourselves, 2,000 years later, are able to share in, in this place. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from people from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Those jigsaw pieces finally fall into place. And God is saying, this is no longer going to be just a Jewish movement. No longer will God limit his promises to one people in one place. The gates here are being flung wide open to all people in all places. All who fear him and do what is right. It's the every tribe and tongue part of the mission. It's the go and make disciples of all nations part of what God, Jesus, calls us to do. It's why when we do our evangelism, when we get those opportunities to share Jesus, we're not to be selective or go to only those we see eye to eye with or a part of our people that we might deem in some way acceptable. The gospel is for all, chapter 10 tells us. Upright Jews, unclean gentles, Gentiles alike. If only they would listen and hear and accept the message that Peter has been sent to tell them. Because if there were one piece left, the one part of the puzzle that they'd still need to put together, it was the most important piece of all. And that was that they might know this Savior. They might know the gospel. They might know how they can be saved. And so the point is revealed, the gospel is then declared. And let's get this straight, because it's important not to assume anything. Uh, what do we mean when we talk about believing the gospel? If we're going to share it, we've got to be clear about it. You know, are we, for example, talking about the Bible? Are we talking about that? Well, in a sense, we are. But the Bible 
outlines more than the gospel. It shows how God's salvation has worked itself out throughout history, throughout centuries, throughout the ages, culminating in one person in particular, Jesus. It's it's as if the Bible displays the gospel, it contains the gospel, it reveals the gospel, and tells us how to live in light of the gospel as well. But in and of itself, the good book is not the gospel. So what is it? Is it doing good things and being loving? Is that the gospel? Well, I remember at my last, when I started at my last church, I started working for a school part-time as well as working for the church before going full-time. And, and I sat in one RE lesson where a student asked the teacher what Christianity was all about. Well, what's Christianity all about, they asked. And and the teacher replied, well, Christians believe that doing good things and living a good life will mean you go to heaven. And my eye began to twitch, and internally I began to go, no, no. It's great to do good things and to live a good life, great. But, I mean, it's not the gospel. That's not Christianity, I don't think she knew I was a pastor. I was thinking, could have asked me, could have asked me. Um, Because it's not about that at all. Doing good things, being a good person does not get you to heaven. It's certainly not the gospel. In fact, the very reason the gospel came into being, Jesus came, was because we are not good people. Because we needed saving. Because we needed his salvation. Someone outside of ourselves to do what we cannot do. That's the point. Every time we break any of God's laws, it becomes uh, God's moral laws, it becomes obvious to us again. We prove it. You know, don't ever answer anyone who says, how do I get to heaven by saying, be a good person? Just don't do it. Don't go there. How good is good enough anyway? You know, are we Jesus? Because that's the marker. (laughs) If you're him, he's the only perfect one, the only one acceptable in God's sight, the only one who could make it. And I don't know about you, but I ain't that, and I'm a pastor. (laughs) I know how flawed I am. It's not the gospel. But I pray sometimes, I attend church, Uh, I even read my Bible, maybe all good things, but they're not the gospel. They're not what saves people. Cornelius gave very generously to the poor, but he wasn't saved. So what is the gospel? What is it? The gospel is a simple message to simply be believed. In fact, Acts chapter 10, he tells us what it is. And he tells Cornelius and his household all it is, what it is. Jesus Christ came into this world, Lord of all, God of flesh, giving himself in human form, anointed by the Holy Spirit, he says. He went around doing good and healing people of incurable illnesses. He was powerful beyond anything we had seen before, he tells Cornelius proving he was more than a mere man and witnessed by many everything he did so that we can say he's the real deal. That same Jesus, though, died at the hands of evil men, killed in Jerusalem by hanging on a cross where he bled and died. The place of curse so that he could take that curse himself. The curse of sin and shame and even death itself upon our Savior. But he didn't stay that way. 
didn't stay dead because the same Jesus rose from the dead. God raised him to life again and God caused him to be seen not by us, but by those who ate and drank with him, telling us to preach and tell people that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. He sits in the place of judgment, calling people back to himself, saying, come to me. Come and discover that I am your Savior and your Lord, and telling people to go out and declare that he is risen. And finally, the great truth of the ages, that what that all means for us, that through this gospel, the good news of God's actions in Jesus is that we get to benefit from it. Forgiveness through him is available, possible, and open through faith in him. Everyone who believes in him, Peter says, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Do you know, J. J. Don, the Anglican evangelist, once said, people will often ask, why Jesus? There are many other religions, many other philosophies, so uh, why Jesus? And he said, there are only four major world religions that are based on personalities. Every other major religion could be termed a philosophy. The four major world religions based on personalities are Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, and Christianity. The father of Judaism, Abraham, died in 1500 BC. The founder of Buddhism, Buddha, died of food poisoning. The founder of Islam, Muhammad, died of a fever. The founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, died by crucifixion. And he said, you can go all over the world, but you will not find one person who will say, Father Abraham lived and died, but he is alive now, and I talk to him. You can go all over the world, but you will not find one Buddhist who will say, Buddha lived and died, but he is alive, and I actually communicate with him. You can go all over the world and you'll not find one Muslim who will say to you, Muhammad lived and died, but he is alive now and I actually communicate with him. But do you know what? You can go to every continent, every nation of this world, because of what Acts 10 has done, and you will find people who will say to you, Jesus Christ lived and died, he is alive now, and I actually communicate with him. You will find that in the nations of the world. And he said, you're walking down a street with which branches in two, and you don't know which way to go. Two men are lying there. One's dead, one's alive. Who are you going to ask for directions? Who would you rely on to save you? The gospel is that Jesus Christ is God in flesh, lived powerfully for his people, died horrendously on behalf of people, rose victoriously to renew people, and ascended into heaven to reassure people. And this message is that you 
and I and people out there can come and bow for Jesus is Lord and he's exactly who we need. The gospel works. I may have said that before. And the gospel is for everyone, for all who would believe. Now the story ends, and we are, we are coming to a close, with the Spirit being received. And it, and it ends with this ultimate mark of acceptance, that the people in their openness to believe, all those who heard the message, they receive the Spirit of God, it falls upon them, and those watching on hear them speaking in other languages and praising God. It's almost like a reenactment of what happened at Pentecost, okay? Except Pentecost was, for, was among the Jewish people, it was Jewish people. Here, it's Gentiles, non-Jews, that's the point. They see the Spirit fall on non-Jews for the first time in history and God is doing a new thing. And it says, they were astonished. <laughs> they themselves were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And Peter finishes by saying, well then what can stand in the way of their being baptized with water as well? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we had. So, so he orders them to go and get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they ask Peter, the Jewish man, to stay with them as Gentiles under the same roof for a few days because they've now been brought together in Jesus. So here's the lesson for today. The gospel works, and the gospel is for everyone, for all who would believe. And what it should do to us here today is it should give us confidence, okay? These events happened 2,000 years ago. We heard on that video earlier on, okay? It's happening. It's happening in nations around the world. It's happening. It's taking place. This isn't some story that we believed, you know, that, that we just sort of know and it, it's there and it's sort of in the background somewhere. This is happening. If you put your faith in Jesus, it's happened to you. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, it's available to you. It's real, and we can take confidence that this is what God is doing today. And just as he did so through Peter, so we can do it through you and I. You know, you may think, goodness, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. If you can explain the simple gospel, if you can share your faith with someone else and tell what Jesus has done for you, you can be just like Peter. You can do that work and leave the outcome up to God. Leave his Holy Spirit to be at work in people's lives. You can do it. I can do it. We can all do it. Because that's what he's called us to as his church. Be that in America or India be that in Finland or Lesotho or Australia. Be that in places like North Korea and Afghanistan where his people are faithfully keeping on, keeping on in the hardest of circumstances. This is the church. We are the church.
And that is the gospel. It's Harvest Sunday. So let me finish finally with a reminder from something Jesus himself said. Matthew chapter 9. He said to his disciples, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illnesses. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what must we do? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. Where's the harvest field for you? Where's it for us? And what is God asking us to do in response? Let's pray. Let's pray and ask him to help us with the task he gives to us. Father, we thank you. These events in the book of Acts, they're 2,000 years old, and yet they are so relevant to us today that the truths that we see in your word from all those years ago are just as relevant for us today as they were when they first happened. That you are a God who sent Jesus to die, to rise, to rise to yourself in glory so that we might know him, so that we might come back to you, we might be reconciled to the God who has given us all good things and so that we might know you for all of eternity. We thank you that that is the gospel. That is the true gospel that you have given to us and that among your people you have given us a task to take that to the world. And whether the world might be to the, to the neighbor next to us, maybe it might be to the person down the street, the person who attends the group I go to, a, a colleague, whether, whether the world is right the way across the other side of the world, wherever that world is for us, Lord God, would you simply give us the confidence to be a people of that gospel, to be a people who rely upon it ourselves, to trust in its truths for ourselves, but also, Lord, to be a people who trust it to do its work as we share it with those around us. Lord, by your Spirit, may you bring many to yourself. May you work in people's hearts and minds to draw them to yourself because you are the great God who blesses us abundantly and has given us Jesus so that we might know you. Bless us, we pray, with the reassurance that brings and grant us your confidence to be a people of the gospel. And in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.